This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Jurgen Klopp often praises his backroom team and indeed took the first opportunity to when he was named LMA Manager of the Year at the end of last season, and rightly so. But one man in particular is of interest to me. Pep Linders, and yes, that's how you pronounce it, is one of Klopp's right-hand men. When Zelko Buvac left the club, Linders was made Klopp's assistant alongside Peter Kravitz, and the Reds have reaped the rewards ever since. I'm Matt Addison, and as we'll get into during this podcast, Linders arrived at Liverpool from FC Porto, before moving temporarily to NEC Nijmegen in the Netherlands in 2018 to become a manager in his own right. We'll discuss why that didn't work, and why Liverpool was so keen to get him back, and the influence he's had since, with my four guests on this podcast. Sander Janssen is a fan of NEC Nijmegen and represents the Forza NEC fan club. Muslu Nalbantoglu was a coach at NEC when Linders was in charge of the Dutch second division side, so has worked closely with him in the past and the pair remain in contact. Josh Williams, our regular tactics writer and analysing Anfield favourite, then talked me through how a Linders Liverpool could look should the 37-year-old be the man chosen to take over at Anfield whenever Jurgen Klopp departs. But first, here's Scott Martin, an analyst specialising in Portuguese football. Linders' coaching journey really took off at FC Porto in the Primera League, where his job title was technical coach. At Porto's youth academy, he developed the likes of Atletico Madrid's 126 million euro man João Felix, Wolf star Ruben Neves, Everton's André Gomes, AC Milan and Portugal striker André Silva, and Manchester United fullback Diego Dallo. Now Liverpool have plenty of youngsters hoping to follow suit. So uh, I suppose the, the best place to start then in terms of Pep Linders, he obviously moved to Porto from PSV. He spoke no Portuguese at the time, but he had three-hour daily lessons to, to learn, and I suppose to, to move countries at the age of just 24 and start what was essentially a new life. It must have been incredibly tough for him. Yes, definitely. So, you know, of course, there's the, the personal challenge as well, getting outside of your comfort zone, uh, leaving the familiarity of your homeland and really immersing yourself in a new environment. And you could see that right away he got set in that Portuguese culture. Uh, he started taking an intensive language program, studying Portuguese for three hours a day. Uh, he just really threw himself into the culture. So I, I think that was a massive help to him. And then you know, as, as he adapted to the new life at, at Porto, you, know, you could see that there were players who helped him uh, helped him make the adjustment. Uh, there was a young player by the name of Andre Gomes. Uh, I suppose Liverpool, you're familiar with him. Uh, he, oh yes, he he was uh, one of the players that would frequently help uh, Linders uh, run through his demonstrations and communicate the ideas to the team. So, yeah, you know, it's it was a big jump. Uh, he had the the benefit of jumping from one major club in PSV to another in Porto, uh, but the stakes were definitely raised with the move. I mean, how much of a big progression point was this for Linders in his career? Because as I say, he was only 24 at the time. He was brought there essentially with the brief of restructuring the entire academy setup. That must have been a huge task for someone to take on. Yes, definitely. Uh, he did have the good fortune at PSV to work with a coach named Rui Gomes, who he ended up following to Porto. And in that role and taking up that, that position with Porto, they started the 611 project. The objective there was to uh, 
identify elite players within that uh, that five-year time frame, so from 2006 to 2011, and to ensure that these players were ready to meet the standards of the first team. So at that time, Sporto did have an amazing scouting network. They had just won the Champions League under a young coach named Jose Marengu. And so they, they recognized that there was a problem that they weren't advancing enough academy players to that level. So Landers had to come in, restructure the program. Uh, you know, he was fortunate that there, there was a solid system there, but he did restructure it so that the players were ready to meet the future demands of the game. He saw the Barcelona team that was coming into its golden age. He had that, that benefit of, you know, as a Dutchman, of that Cruyff education, that total football. So he brought these ideas to Porto to really prepare them to meet the attacking demands that the game would bring them. And you see with the, the players that Porto has produced, um, you know, there's Joao Felix, who's who's come through. He started at Porto. Uh, Ruben Neves, Andre Gomes, as mentioned, Andre Silva. These players were then ready to meet the demands that that you know we're now living in this this new reality of high intensity attacking football. What do you think were the key things that Linders would have learned during his time there? So I, I think one of the the big things is, is he's mentioned the the mentality at Porto that was obviously uh, it made a big impression on him, especially the the passion that they they bring to the their philosophy as a club and that they see in the players. So he's mentioned in the past that they they love the winners. You know, the, the, the players who really battled, competed at every moment, and so I, I think that was both a great fit for him as a person because he is a very intense personality especially on the pitch uh, but it gave him a chance to really nurture that passion so that was one aspect but you know i think he did also refine many elements of his coaching style at porto you do have the influence of Vito frade the the famous technical periodization professor so he did learn how to better structure his his coaching ideas and to implement them through tr- uh, regular training so for example he had a, a 16 week rotation and uh, in that 16 week period there were very defined attacking skills that he would train for two weeks at a time and with with uh, Linders and Porto it, it was all about attacking so how can we create attacking players who are, are ready to to make an influence in this uh, future game so didn't necessarily have a, a defined plan for defending but within that attacking structure, there were always opportunities to define, uh, you know, what defending technique should look like, how you arrange yourself defensively. So it was a really well-structured program and something that I think you really refined at Porto. So I guess that sort of period where he was at Porto was almost a time to experiment and, and grow and, and try new things. How beneficial do you think that was for, for his career as a whole? Oh, it was a massive help. So he did have a little bit of freedom to to structure the program and to really implement his ideas. And so you could see that there is this this um, this fusion of Dutch and Portuguese ideas. So there's the aspect of the Dutch total football there, that very attacking oriented play. Um, but you also do have the the Portuguese aggression there. So there is the that melding 
which you know I think Blinders was uniquely positioned to bring to the club. And you could see just from the talent they've produced, from, not only from his time there, but also in the years following, that he's had a massive impact on the club. And that set him up well to make his move to Liverpool and impress there. Absolutely. And he worked with Andre Villas-Boas as well, somebody who maybe was mocked almost in England for what he did with Chelsea and Tottenham. But is very much someone who's a better tactician and coach than lots of people give him credit for. But I suppose you only have to look at that list of players that Linders and, and Villas-Boas helped develop to see the impact that they had. And, and as you say, that legacy as well, because you know the list is so long, they must have obviously been doing a lot of things very, very well. Yes, definitely. And if you watch any of his academy training sessions while he's at Porto, and there, there are plenty available online, you can see the intensity of the engagement, uh, the players, of the coaches. Uh, you can see the the freedom of expression of the players, the creativity, their ability to adapt and meet the demands of the the exercises that he's produced. And you know, I, I think above all, when you look at his players, they show an exceptional ability to adapt to the demands of the game. They, they, they process the context very quickly. And they, they find a solution. Lots of Linders' job at Porto was based on developing the youth players. And that's one job he's taken on at Liverpool. When Linders first arrived, he was under-16's boss. But he was quickly promoted to being Liverpool's bridge between the academy and Kirby and the first team set to put Melwood. The role that Vitor Matos now plays after he was also brought in from Porto last year. But for Linders to be a real candidate for the main job at Liverpool, the ultimate successor to Jurgen Klopp, he would have to prove to have another set of skills. So far, Linders has been an incredible number two to Klopp, but his only time as a number one came at NEC Nijmegen in Holland, and he only lasted for six months. You're, I think, a, a part of, of the Forza NEC fan club. Um, I mean, what do you remember about Pep Linders' time in, in Holland? Uh, well, first of all, it was pretty surprising that he, uh, that he came in, actually, um, because they had a head coach. Um, who was an assistant for a few days and then he got promoted to head coach because they couldn't find uh, a suitable uh, head coach. So he, he became the head coach and it didn't go that badly, um, but the football wasn't wasn't really you know, fun to watch. It wasn't attacking enough uh, and the board of the club uh, thought we have to bring in someone in the winter to uh, get more attacking football and uh, get promoted to the Eredivisie because they were in second tier. They still are actually. Um, so the assistant uh, who became the head coach became the assistant again uh, and then Pep Leinders uh, came in in I think uh, January 2nd if I, if I recall correctly um, I, I saw a press uh, press note from Liverpool uh, saying Pep Leinders is the new head coach of NEC and I, I thought well, who is he and I, d- I don't even know him uh, that good uh, um, so he was brought in um, he had to uh, get to get the football more attacking and uh, more uh, fun to watch, um, but he didn't have much time for that to do that. Uh, he had, I think, one and a half week to uh, really implement his playing style. And uh, I remember that he was on training camp in Spain with uh, with the squad, uh, and he wanted to implement really many ideas of of his uh, of his game, and uh, you know, pretty likely to uh, similar to to Liverpool's. Um, but that needs time, and I think he, he knew that. But um, the, the board of the club th- said uh, 
just implement many of your ideas in the, in the first weeks. So he did, uh, but that didn't go really well. He, he won the first match with the five to one, um, but uh, then a few days later, the players were pretty uh, tired and uh, they lost uh, three to zero. So that went on for a few weeks. They, they pretty played a uh, pretty couple of good matches, but they also lost and they drawed a lot. So it uh, didn't go uh, that well. They were in the top of the league, and, uh, I think second and uh, third place. Uh, but not in top. You need to be on top, uh, of course, to to get promoted. Um, so, so that's basically how it went. Uh, he wanted to implement his ideas pretty quickly, um, but but it didn't go that well. Do you think then the mistake that he made was was doing things too quickly, or do you think maybe that was just forced upon him because he he came in halfway through the season, didn't he? So maybe he didn't have any other choice. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a combination of uh, things. Uh, the board of the club shouldn't have made the mistake to bring him in in the winter because they know uh, Linus is a coach who uh, wants to implement his ideas and they are radically different from uh, the coach they had before. He was more conservative, more uh, defense-minded. Not that that's a bad thing, uh, but uh, Linus' style is, is really different and it needs time to uh, yeah, to get to get used to for the players, and you know the, the players of NSA aren't players of Liverpool. They're not uh, players you train for a few weeks and then they know what to do. Uh, that, that needs much more time. Uh, so the board, I think, shouldn't have brought him in in the winter. They should have waited till the till the summer, um, or got him in a half a year earlier. Um, and for Linus, yeah, I, I think it's pretty naive of him to. Uh, implement so many of his ideas uh, so quickly in the, f- in the first weeks. And I think he even said that in an interview afterwards, like I learned at NSA that players uh, aren't machines. Mo- most of the time it seems that way at Liverpool maybe because those players are so good. But I think at, at most other clubs uh, li- like NSA or, or top tier in, uh, in the Netherlands, they aren't machines. You can just uh, wave your wand around and uh, they can do what you want. So that's, uh, yeah, I think it's a combination. And you say it was kind of a shock that he came in. I mean, how excited were you that a coach had arrived who'd worked with Jurgen Klopp? He'd come from Liverpool and, and played or, or coached with, with some really big players. How exciting was that at the time? Yeah, that was really cool, I remember. Uh, I remember that most fans were, uh, were pretty ex- excited too. Like, oh, uh, like a big coach from Liverpool is coming in uh, to... Uh, to NSA, which wasn't a big team then and not now. Um, but I, I think that the, um, his predecessor, the, the, the assistant coach who became the head coach, Adrie Bogers is his name, um, he didn't give um, yeah, a good impression, I think, on, on the fans. So the fans were happy to get rid of him, that he became an assistant again. And I think yeah, Linders uh, made a pretty good impression because he was uh, from Liverpool and he was Klopp's, uh, Klopp's playing style and uh, more attacking football he had to, to, uh, to get at NSA. Um, so first hand, uh, before he began, uh, fans were pretty excited. But yeah, that, that changed pretty quickly when he, uh, when he lost a few games. Of course. I mean, at the end of his time in Holland, did he lose his job because he wasn't good enough or, or maybe did he just want to come back to Liverpool? I mean, how, how did it kind of end? Uh, well, I, I think he wasn't uh, actually sacked uh, because uh, the, the club always said it was a mutual decision. And I think even before the last playoff game uh, against FC Emme, uh, 
he already had an offer lined up from uh, from Jurgen Klopp to return to Liverpool and get a more uh, uh, well, a more bigger role in the, in the in the staff. So that played a part, I think. And I think Liners knew it it needed much time in uh, in the second tier in in Holland to implement his ideas. Maybe a few years, and he even said. Uh, you remember the, the first year of Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, they, they finished eighth. It wasn't a really good season. So it, it just needs time to uh, to implement those attacking ideas. And maybe uh, in, in two or three years, it would have been successful. But NSA doesn't have that time in the second year. They need to get back to the top tier as fast as possible. So that, that's not the time you have. And I think um, looking at that and... Uh, yeah, how the how the fans reacted to, to him, I think he knew that he was in the disadvantage at NSA, so he, he just could better return to Liverpool and in his old role as an assistant and uh, more in the background. I, I think that suits him more. I mean, yeah, uh, obviously he came back and, and he had that offer, but if you know his team had won the playoffs, do you think you know if they'd have got promoted, would he have stayed for an, an extra season in the top division? I think so, yeah, because the the promotion was the yeah, was the was the aim. Of course, they they had to get promoted, and if he didn't, then it would evaluate the whole uh, the whole season and uh, yeah, maybe uh, part ways. But I think if they got promoted, he would have stayed. Yeah. And in terms of his his time there, I mean, what were the most positive bits? You mentioned that the sort of playing style didn't quite managed to, to apply over in Holland and, and obviously he left after six months so it, it didn't go perfectly to plan but what were the, the good bits was the, there any sort of legacy that he left behind uh, well the, the, the first match I mentioned against Goat Eagles was 5-1 uh, to one, so that was a pretty uh, impressive start and I think everyone then thought like oh who, who is this guy who was brought in to, uh, to, to get that more attacking playing style and it's working uh, apparently it seemed that way in the, in the first game, but yeah, as I said, uh, the the second game there were more uh, there were more tired the players, and he uh, I think he even uh, got almost the same squad as the match before, so that so the players couldn't get that uh, intensity uh, again, uh, and that happened quite a lot. I think that there weren't really good matches in there after that. I think maybe two or three that they uh, that they just won. Uh, but they were lower, uh, lower teams in the in the table, and um, so it's it's actually that uh, that first match that was pretty good. Uh, but after that, even Liner said it. Uh, most matches, NSA had more shots, had more possession, uh, had more chances created uh, in the in the match, but they lost because I think the players didn't really know what to do. Uh, the, the the defense was more like uh, we have to hang back and uh, don't uh, give give away too much space behind uh, the defensive line. At the midfielders were like we have to press forward and uh, get the ball quickly. Uh, so, so that's uh, what I said about Linus is attacking playing style. Players uh, had to get used to that, and that takes time. And you uh, saw in the first months, I think, uh, what uh, why that needs time because players uh, have second thoughts. They they don't really know what to do. Um, and maybe some players don't even fit in that playing style because I, I remember they had a defender who was really tall and not really quickly uh, in, the, in the movement of the ball. Uh, so I think Leinders, if he had stayed, he uh, should have gotten a few players he uh, he knows and to, uh, he knows uh, he can fit in his playing style. Um, but yeah, there, there weren't really m- many 
good moments, I think. Not, not that fans remember from him. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. So while it only lasted half a year, Linders' time at NEC was not a complete failure. And indeed, he came back a better coach at Melwood than when he left. Muslu Nalbantoglu worked with Linders at NEC, where he was team manager while the Dutchman was head coach. And he says there was plenty of good that Linders did there. He came here with a lot of energy. I think you know Mugut is, is, if we talk about football, it's, uh, you, you already can see he loves the, the game. And uh, yeah, he had a lot of energy when he just arrived in the Netherlands. And of course, um, at NEC, NEC is not an easy club in the Netherlands, but um, yeah, it was he was a great, great guy. And no, I mean it, it didn't quite work out for him whilst he was there. I mean, what, what do you think went wrong? Why why didn't it work out? Um, the the time he he arrived at NEC, we, uh, we were second of the league, um, and yeah, a lot of people didn't know that the the club was uh yeah uh, on the behind was working on to, uh, with Pepin that he come over to to the Netherlands um and if we end like second uh the second uh, uh, part of the season uh, we will uh, go up to the Premier League the, the Dutch Premier League the Eredivisie um I don't know what it, what the exact reason was but uh, what he had in his mind uh, with the players of NEC was not realistic, you know. Of course, if you work with Mo Salah and call all the names of Liverpool, it's not easy to uh, do the same at the at the club like NEC with with those players. No, of course. I mean, even though it, it didn't quite work out for him overall, there must have been things that he did well and, and things that that his players improved because of his coaching. I mean, what was the what was the thing that was that he was best at as a coach? Uh, what, what I already said is energy, but uh, he was 12 years out of the Netherlands. You know, it's difficult. Uh, and if you talk about some games or the the the, 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 the stats or something like that with, with analyze of the games, you can see that he, he was <laughs> a long time uh, away from the Netherlands, but his energy, his trainings, sorry, I think it was really good. And, um, in the beginning, we we thought, so what's this? You know, the the, the energy he say and uh, we see on the pitch. But it was, uh, yeah, it was. It was. I think everybody loves him, still loves him at the club. You know, and of course we have uh, difficult uh, uh, fans. And when when you lose three times ahead, then it's it's really difficult to stay here at NSC. And and also. If we play bad, he feels some responsibility to, to the, the people who are working for NEC, you know. And I, and normally the trainers don't have those feelings. They think, oh, okay, we love, but they don't think about the employees of the club. And and Pep did, you know. And it's really nice. He always talk with them. Um, I think what he had in his mind was not for the level of NEC, you know? It was a higher level. So that's what I think. If you have better players around you, you can do that what you want, you know? And at that moment, we don't have the players who can equalize his uh, level. 
I think I said that really, really well. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. I mean, you mentioned that you, you still have messages with him and, and still speak to him. Uh, did you yeah, speak great. to him? Did you speak to him after the the Premier League title was won? Yeah, yeah, I sent him some uh, some messages and he sent me back and he also invited my wife and my and my family to come over uh, to Liverpool. So you know. Uh, yeah, normally, you know, he, he, he maybe some other train said, yeah, okay, now my job is finished over there and it was not good. So uh, let everybody there, you know. But uh, yeah, and uh, the for the game at uh, Napoli, I think two years ago. I don't know if you can remember that. And at the same time, we were with, uh, with some employees of NEC. We were there because our sponsor is the Legea. Our uh, yeah, I don't, do you know the Legea the, of the of the clothes? The sports. Uh, I'm, I'm not too sure, but I, I do remember the game with Napoli. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we were there, and he invited us to the to the stadium. And uh, the journalist must leave within 15 or 20 minutes, and uh, he said, "No, no, no. You can stay over. You can uh, stay and uh, watch the training. You know, it was yeah." Those are things that you say. Yeah, it's really a really good guy. He have a good good heart. For for Pep, it was the wrong uh, time to come over here. I think because we had a good first uh, season, half season, and it was a really bad time to, for him to come over here. It only can uh, be uh, be, uh, yeah, worse than uh, because we already you had, you had young Ajax. They were the first, and then it uh, Fortuna and us. One of the one of these teams will, will go up, and it was a really bad time to for him to come over. I think, because also uh, um, the other coaches, uh, we had uh, they were uh, actually the first half of the season. They were the first coaches actually, and when Pep arrived, there were some assistants, you know, assistant assistant coach, and and also that was not so good for Pep because yeah, he he can't choose his own stuff you know um but i think those are things you can learn from it and i hopefully if i was him yeah i, I think maybe uh, when jürgen will leave the lift i don't hope for for you guys but <laughs> then i think pep pep can take it over for sure with those players of course yeah, I mean, I believe you used to to play for Ajax as a as a youth player. I mean, are there similarities yeah. between the way that Pep wants to play and and the way that Ajax play? Maybe I think similarity with with how Liverpool plays. Okay, I think yeah, I think and and, and what I saw in, at the stage of the training, we were in uh, Malaga, uh, Estepona. Uh, in uh, in January, we played two friendly games with Pep, and it was unbelievable. Uh, the players, uh, you know, the, the the energy were also with the players. In the first game after uh, in, in in the competition, we we win five zero, you know, against a good team, go at Eagles. So everybody thought, oh, okay, this is what we want, and this is what we have missed. But what I what I told you, it was. Uh, it was not realistic to ask from these players at NEC that time, and that is uh, yeah, really uh, unfortunately. I'm I'm so yeah. I I still miss Pep. You know his energy. He's a good good man, good heart, and yeah. I think a lot of people at NEC loved him for sure. Landis's time at NEC then quite clearly was not a complete disaster. 
He clearly has a lot of ability and he remains incredibly highly rated at Anfield. He'll be on the shortlist surely when Jurgen Klopp does depart. But what might a Linders Liverpool look like? It feels a little bit early to be speaking about a possible Jurgen Klopp succession plan, Josh. But I suppose that's something that Liverpool will have a little bit of an eye on. It's how they work, of course. They get an idea of what they want to do short term, but also long term. And I suppose we've, you know, throughout this podcast, we've talked with the other guests on the show about how Pep Linders' career has gone, how well he's thought of at Liverpool, and, and also the reasons why maybe it hasn't worked out for him as a number one in the past. I suppose, first of all, how excited would you be if Jurgen Klopp was to, say, go in, in 2024 when his contract expires and Liverpool turn around and go, well, Pep, it, it's your chance. Go and be the number one. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. Excited is really the word. I think. I think probably intrigued more than anything. Um, he seems. He comes across to me as a, as an intriguing figure. Obviously, there's not a lot that we can we can find out about him because you know he's he's, he's kind of the man behind the real face. But um, yeah, he just some of the things he says when he's took Liverpool press conferences and and things like that and certain interviews he's gave. He, he comes across as you know really insightful and. His perspective on the game is really interesting. He's able to, you know, what look at players and very clearly interpret what they're good at, what they bring to Liverpool's game, and stuff like that. Um, I think he's really, really effective when it comes to training behind the scenes and, you know, appreciating what Liverpool need, what Liverpool's identity is, and then kind of creating training exercises basically to to kind of reinforce that behind the scenes. I think as the, as the key man in Klopp's place, Klopp does less of that. Klopp runs less of the training sessions. He's kind of more of a an, an overseer. Klopp almost in the Ferguson mould. Dallas Ferguson used to do this a few years ago. You know, I like to Renner Mule and Steele and uh, Mike Field and, and people like that I think would take the training sessions and Ferguson would just kind of oversee it all and I think Linders comes across to me as much more practical than than what a head coach maybe would be. Um, but yeah, just 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 because of, of of what I've witnessed of him, how he talks about the game, you know, referencing Fabinho as a lighthouse, um, describing Liverpool's game as organised chaos, stuff like that, just you know, really effective. Certainly, me as a journalist, you know, I I appreciate those kind of blabs that he comes out with and. So yeah, I think I think more than then I'd be intrigued. Um, I'm not sure if it'll ever happen, but yeah, certainly interesting if it ever does. Yeah, it's certainly something to to watch out for. I mean, if hypothetically Pep Linders was to take over and be the new manager of Liverpool, there would have to be some changes because I suppose there is a benefit to continuity, but he couldn't just try and, and replicate and be another Jurgen Klopp. There would have to be some development tactically in in some way. You have to be your own person at the end of the day, and I think I think Klopp's really unique in in the way he does things, specifically in the way that he communicates behind the scenes. I think tactically, he's I, I don't I wouldn't expect a great deal to change in terms of the, the the principles of Liverpool's game, in terms of intensity, you know, counter pressing, all that sort of stuff. But in terms of you know formations and things like that, I, I'd expect. This is a complete guess, but I'd expect Linders to maybe be a bit more experimental than Klopp. Um, I think if Linders was in charge, specifically for the final 
eight games of the season that we've already had the league one is it also I'd expect like for example if Linders was in charge maybe we'll have seen Trent used as a midfielder once or twice not as a not as a permanent move but just as you know an experiment just as a, as a test um, and just the way the way Linders describes Liverpool players tactics formations you know behind the scenes and things like that Something just tells me he would be a little bit more experimental than clock when it comes to mixing things up, putting players out of the comfort zone so that they grow. Um, but while also, as you say, continuing with the the principles of Liverpool's game that have been so clearly established under clock, and that it would, you know, it make zero sense to, after so many years working with those principles, to just you know completely completely eradicate them and restart. We saw the other week with his reaction to Frank Lampard on the touchline, he felt more than comfortable standing up for his team and, and his teammates. I suppose he's sort of become part of, of the journey under Klopp, but he is still very young and it's, it's easy to forget that. Assuming Klopp was to move on in 2024, Linders would still only be two years older than what Brendan Rodgers was in 2012 when he took over at Liverpool. Would that inexperience and, and sort of youth be a concern for you or would that sort of be tempered slightly by the fact that he has worked on the club and he's been at the club now for a sustained period of time yeah it's a tricky one I, th- I think it, it would come down to two things really I, I think the the inexperience is, is unlikely to to matter a, a great deal if if the, the playing squad is really really high quality because um, I, th- I think to an extent if your squad build really really effectively you will get to a point really where the squad almost manages itself. Um, if you look at Real Madrid over the years, and you know Chelsea back back when Abramovich first took over and things like that, they established a really really good squad. Different managers every single year, but because of the quality of the squad, players just kind of, you know, Liverpool's current eleven couldn't couldn't really perform to a level below, say for example, the third. Um, but I think I think one aspect that Linders maybe would fall short in in comparison to Klopp is I think when it comes to buying new players and when it comes to the the attraction to Liverpool, I think Klopp's a big, big figure. And I think if you look over the years to players Liverpool have bought that have been that have had to be convinced, maybe, say for example, Van Dijk, Allison, um, possibly even Fabinho, you know, he was linked with Man United at the time. I think you you can use Man United as an example. I think Solskjaer is trying to entice uh, Erling Haaland, Jude Bellingham to to Old Trafford, and he, he's failed twice because he doesn't really have he doesn't really have that about him. I, I think it's, I'm confident in saying if if Klopp was the, the man in charge at United trying to bring those players to Old Trafford, I'm pretty sure they'd go. Um, I think Wijnaldum was another one that Klopp you know brought in. I think Mane was getting convinced by Pochettino at the time, but Klopp, Klopp managed to get him in. But I think that just stems from, you know, the the clamour around Klopp, the way he communicates, he, you know, a larger-than-life type figure. And I think if Liverpool was to replace him, they'd, they'd do remarkably well to replace him with another figure who can bring in that same attraction for, for incoming players. So, yeah, in, in terms of Linders replacing him, I'd, I'd expect to see a problem when it comes to attracting the same level of player and convincing players to the same level purely because Klopp's a master communicator. But when it comes to results and experience managing the squad, 
if the squad's just really, really well built as it is currently and as it has been over the past few years, I wouldn't expect to see to see major issues there. That being the case, then, would you suggest it's it's maybe better for for Pep Linders to stay on as a number two with whoever comes next at Liverpool and and maybe have somebody else brought in to work alongside him because he's quite clearly very valuable to Liverpool, but maybe it's just not quite the role that number one that that would suit him best. Yeah, that 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 would be probably my take on it. As I mentioned about you know Pep being quite tactical and and technical and a lot more practical than. A head coach maybe is. Um, I'm just thinking of the value that he offers in terms of training. Like you know, for example, there's a a, a rondo that we that we use. Um, you know, it's a typical training method: five v two rondo, where five players form a circle, two players in the middle. Um, and Linda's is very clever with coming up with clever little quirks in training to to keep the players motivated and to, as I said, reinforce Liverpool's game. So. If if the two players in the middle regain the ball inside six passes, those two players in the middle can leave this can leave the centre. But if it goes beyond six passes, only the player that intercepts the ball can leave the circle. So it kind of reinforces that idea of teamwork sort of thing. I think they have they have training matches behind the scenes, eleven v eleven, let's say. And I think I think only goals count if all 11 players across the halfway line, for example. That's a clever little incentive to, you know, encourage Liverpool's back line, especially to to move forward and to, to attack with the rest of the team. And I think that's that's clearly where where Linders offers his value inside training. And I think if he was to take the number one spot, he'd have to start, um, you know, putting his mind to, to other areas, which I'm sure he'd be capable, but you're moving, you're moving him away from the area that he's most valuable in. And I think, say, for example, Liverpool was to replace Klopp with a figure such as, you know, Julian Nagelsmann or, or Marco Rose or, or someone like that. I think Linders would just be able to offer that that real value um, as a number two, having experienced how Klopp has done it. Um, yeah, that, that, that's where I see his value personally. Yeah, I mean, I'd be inclined to agree. And actually, the, the final question I was going to ask you was actually about... Julian Nagelsmann, obviously the, the Leipzig manager. I suppose you, you said at the start of this conversation, you wouldn't necessarily be excited, but you'd be intrigued by Linders being the number one. Would you be excited by Nagelsmann as number one with Linders alongside him? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I think uh, Nagelsmann would be a really effective replacement. I think, I think the only issue with it would be, I think Klopp's contracted for another four years. I'd be amazed if, if Nagelsmann isn't you know, in in charge of an English club inside that four year period. But if he's willing to wait, he's a he's a perfectly effective replacement for Jurgen Klopp. Um, you know, he's he's got the proactive game, proactive principles, big on press, and very modern in terms of you know training methods. So he communicates with people. He's also German. He's also about six foot four, so he's quite an imposing figure. Um, young, really open to new methods. So speaks good English as well. Um, and I think, similar to Linders, what I said earlier, I think he's a lot more experimental and Klopp in terms of tactics and stuff, trying new things, putting players outside the comfort zone. So, yeah, I think Linders is certainly on the list in terms of, you know, potential heirs to the throne, if you like. It's just whether he's he's willing to hang on for four years to replace him because uh, 
I think I've heard the odd little murmur that, you know, if Lampard, for example, was to fail at Chelsea and not actually deliver trophies, maybe Nagelsmann could come in. Obviously, he'd be working with Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, maybe German players. So, yeah, I think Nagelsmann and Linders would be a really, really creative, inventive partnership. It's just whether whether he's willing to wait, I suppose. No one wants to be thinking about Jurgen Klopp leaving just yet, but it will happen one day, quite possibly in 2024, when the German's contract comes to an end. Steven Gerrard, Julian Nagelsmann and probably several others by the time the Reds' boss does leave will be considered. For now though, whether Linders is the man to take over or not, his impact on the success of Liverpool at the moment is clear. Hopefully what this podcast has given you is a little bit of an insight into Melwood and the role that Linders plays. When Zelko Buvac departed Anfield under a cloud of secrecy in 2018, having worked as a number two to Klopp for 17 years, some were concerned that Liverpool would feel his loss. Instead, if anything, they found an upgrade in one of the world's most fascinating young coaches. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.